So the thing that, that I planned to talk about today was uh, week four of Passion for Jesus. Uh, we're talking about um, staying amazed by Jesus, staying amazed by Jesus, and, and staying in a place of wonder before God. And I'll be honest with you, just because, you know, we're going to talk a lot about transparency and vulnerability and community and some of those things today. Um, the enemy has, has kind of attacked me in that area this week, and Jaquita's testimony just cracked me open. So thank you. <laughs> thank you. I'm going to pray before I start. I was planning on praying later, but I'm just going to pray because I need to. So Holy Spirit, we just welcome you here in this room, God. We just welcome your presence, and, and uh, Lord, would you just come and um, just illuminate your word, illuminate the scriptures. And, and Jesus, we just thank you that you are the word of God. You are the word of God. And we stand in awe, we stand in wonder before you right now, God, just of the amazing things that you are doing in our lives, that you've done in our lives, the hard things, through the, through the not yet moments of the kingdom, God. You show up and you show us who you are. So we thank you for that, Holy Spirit. Just ask for more of your presence with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Cool. Okay. So, uh, if you missed my book recommendations, it's been a few messages since I gave you any book recommendations, so I've got two for you today. The first one is a book called Didn't See It Coming. We read this as an as a executive staff um, maybe six months ago or so, and it's really good. So this guy, Kerry Newhoff, he's, a, he's kind of a megachurch pastor in Canada, and honestly, you know, to hear him talk, I mean, he sort of sounds like a kind of a Christian radio, K-Love kind of guy, you know, a little bit, I don't mean this in a rude way, but like a little bit surface sometimes, but he, he takes it deep in this book, so didn't see it coming. It's about cynicism, it's about burnout, and just signs that you're going through those things and how to cope with them, and so I would highly recommend didn't see it coming if you're um, experiencing any of those things, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about that, and then the second book that I want to recommend to you is one that I've recommended before. It's called The Divine Conspiracy by a guy named Dallas Willard. And this book really um, restored my wonder for Jesus. When I read this book, I, I spent several months um, going through it following the passing of my father-in-law. And there is some stuff in here that will just cause you to, to just stand of Jesus. And so I highly recommend this. If you, you need, if you need your heart to come alive, which I think we all do, check this out because there's some really, really good stuff in there. So welcome to part four of our Passion for Jesus series. If you were here last week, we had a guest speaker, Susan O'Brien. Susan knocked it out of the park. She gave us an amazing, amazing talk uh, just about soul care and, and uh, just some things as it relates to uh, our passion for Jesus. So go back and listen to that if you haven't already. One of the things that Susan mentioned last week was the idea of being astonished by Jesus. If you listened last week, do you remember that? That was kind of what she closed with, was the idea of being astonished by Jesus. And so that's really where I want to pick up today and, and just kind of run with that, is the idea of being astonished or amazed by Jesus. So, you know, some of the most profound experiences of my young life have been a result of the opportunities that I have had to travel. Um, I've seen some really, really cool stuff, and I'm thankful for those opportunities. One that stands out to me in particular is uh, Snowdonia National Park in Wales. So I visited Snowdonia National Park, and there, I've got a picture, and I promise that it doesn't even come close to doing this park justice. It almost looks fake in this picture. Like, it looks like a, like a computer wallpaper background or something. Like it's, but it seriously is like 
it's one of the most breathtaking things that I've ever seen. It was, um, you know, I was just looking at the landscape and I was, I was shocked by how emerald green the grass was and just how glassy still the waters were. And the day that we were in the park, we came in early in the morning and there was fog and there was some cloud cover and, and the fog kind of met the clouds and, and just up into the sky, like just covered the tops of the mountains. And as the day went on, you know, the sun kind of burnt the fog off and, and we saw pictures like this. It was one of the most amazing things that I've ever seen in my life. And, you know, there's a, there's a principle um, called general revelation. So the Bible is God's specific revelation. But we see uh, there are echoes of God and there are uh, shades of God in, in nature and in people and in everything around us. And so this was just an amazing encounter that I had with general revelation, just the general revelation of God in, in creation. And uh, it was just indescribably beautiful. And I've had other experiences that came close to that. I can't talk about the Grand Canyon because Susan stole that last week. But, you know, Niagara Falls and the Smoky Mountains and things, you know, in Brazil and just, I mean, amazing wonders of nature that I've had the fortune to lay my eyes on. Amazing, amazing stuff. And these are all things that gave me what was really close to an unadulterated, kind of God-haunted glimpse of creation. And I have been left in complete awe as a result of these experiences. And so I want to ask you, kind of before we dive in, what have you seen that has left you utterly amazed what have you seen in your life that's left you utterly amazed? It could have been, you know, a, a historic moment that happened in front of you. It could have been a wonder of nature. Um, it could have been, you know, the birth of a child or having the opportunity to be with someone as they passed from this life into the next, right? Those are all things that capture our imagination, that capture our awe. And so just take a minute, and I want you to pause and remember that feeling, Reflect on that. Where were you? What were some of the, the tastes, the smells, the emotions? Recall those things. There's something about that experience that made you marvel because it contained greetings from beyond, is what I would say, greetings from beyond. You didn't create it, and you didn't make it, and you would never have any idea how under your own power to reproduce it, right? Ever. That thing that you saw or experienced, it was so fantastical that, that it, it just doesn't quite measure up to the rest of the things that you've seen and done. That's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about wonder. And it's the very same thing that Jesus is talking about when he says, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. So we lose our sense of awe about the world and about people as time wears on. You know, Children are one of the best examples of this. They're amazed by the little things. They're amazed by the little things. Cynicism about other people is this kind of skepticism that, that comes about when we start to believe that the people around us are only motivated by their own self-interest. When we start to believe that lie about people, that they're only motivated by their own self-interest, that's when cynicism starts to creep in. So when you hear me saying this word cynicism, and you're like, well, wait a minute, where is cynicism in the Bible? Think about this. Any time 
that the Bible says someone had a hard heart, that their heart was hardened, they were cynical. That's what that means. So just keep that in mind as we keep going. So one of my favorite points that our friend Mike O'Brien brought up last week while he was with us doing some training on worship was this, this idea that community worships community. Community worships community. So what he meant by this is that worship is by default communal. So we can appreciate something by ourselves, but worship in the corporate sense is only given true expression when we do it together. Because we worship a God who is a communal God, right? One God, three persons. Uh, There are three separate expressions of one common God, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And even that thought about the Trinity, even that idea of the Trinity should cause us to to marvel, right? It should, it should stir up wonder in our hearts when we think about how, how amazing that is and how incomprehensible that is to the human mind. So I would propose with this point then about the Trinity that when we get cynical about other people, we cut ourselves off from some degree of community. The natural result of that is then kind of a cutting off of some proximity to God, Right? If, if community worships community, if people in community are worshiping a communal God and we remove ourselves from community, we are removing ourselves from some degree of God's presence. So let me give you a couple extra examples. Can you think of a time when you went the extra mile for someone and you got absolutely nothing in return? You didn't get a thank you. You didn't get an acknowledgement. You didn't get any of those things that you desired. Uh, can you think of maybe like a way that you grew cold to relationship when that happened, right? You got disappointed. You didn't get the thing that you expected. And as a result, you withdrew. You pulled back. Because what do we want to do? We want to protect ourselves, right? That's natural. We want to protect ourselves. And so can you think of maybe a time when you had a thought, an intrusive thought about a coworker? or a co-laborer in the church um, that just was not the truth about their identity or the image of God inside of them, right? You're, you're intensely frustrated with somebody and you're wrestling with something that someone did and it stirs up these thoughts about who they are and what they're like that are not the truth about them. I think we can all relate to that on some level. Those are the things that make us cynical. Those are the things that cause hardness of heart, as the Bible would say. And so our cynicism isn't just toward people. I've experienced an abundance of cynicism because the people I prayed for didn't get healed or I didn't experience the breakthrough that I expected from God. And, you know, we have a tendency to get mad at God. And, you know, John shared a vulnerable story about getting mad at God a few weeks ago in his message. See, that's okay as long as we work it out in relationship instead of burying our frustration with God. Because when we bury our frustration with God, that's self-sabotage. Because we're hiding something underneath the facade, and it's, it's rotting away what's underneath. So we have to figure out what we're going to do about this, right? There are people in church who are cynical about one member of the Trinity. Some of these things might sound familiar to you. Some folks think that the Father is angry with them, right? Some people have a picture of an angry Father. And I would propose to you that if your picture of the Father is, some, is someone in the sky with lightning bolt in hand, ready to smite anyone or any institution 
who steps outside of his will, you have a pagan picture of God. You have a pagan picture of God because that's how Ra and Baal or Baal or Zeus or Jupiter behave, right? That's how those pagan gods behave. We have a father who calls us into intimacy, who calls us in close when we make mistakes, when we step out of line, right? Some people are cynical about Jesus because when they hear him say things about loving your neighbor or giving everything, giving everything away that you have, they think that you know, he's gone woke. And they have this social justice warrior picture of Jesus, right? Some people are cynical about the Holy Spirit because they think that his, his ministry is messy or weird and, and they feel out of control and they're uncomfortable with the supernatural in general. But we can't afford to get cynical about one member of the Trinity. We can't afford that, right? So the hard and the unvarnished truth is that cynicism is sin, and we all need to repent. We all need to be in this cycle of repenting for cynicism. But the good news is Jesus has the antidote for cynicism. If the gospel is really good news, it's good news to those of us whose hearts have grown a little hard or a lot hard over the years, right? So this week's scripture is coming from Luke 18, 15 to 17. So if you want to read that with me, you can turn in your devices or in your Bibles to Luke 18, 15 to 17. In this particular passage, so Jesus is speaking to a crowd here in Luke 18. He's doing some teaching. He shares a few parables about the kingdom of God. And then we come to this passage, and it says, Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. So they rebuked these these parents and these people who were bringing their children to Jesus. But Jesus called to them saying, let the children come to me and do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, when Jesus says that, listen, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And I want to focus on the words of Jesus here. So this is going to be a little tangential, but the fact that we have these words is an immense blessing. It's an immense blessing because, you know, we need to realize that there is a uniqueness about Jesus. In my, in my upbringing in the church, I was kind of taught about the person of Jesus, like he was part of a cast of biblical characters. And so, you know, you started out in Genesis, and you had uh, Noah and Abraham and, you know, Moses and all these guys, and then you go on, and it's David and it's Solomon and the prophets, and eventually, you know, John the Baptist, and then there's this Jesus guy, and Paul, and so on and so forth. And, and, and it's just like a, they're all on level ground, right? He was just part of the cast. He was just part of the story. But the truth about Jesus is that Jesus is way more than just part of the cast. There's a reason that Jesus' words are in red and no one else's are, right? And so we need to stop pretending like Jesus is just a member of the cast of the biblical story, and we need to actually start treating the words of Jesus as what they are, the direct words from the mouth of God, right? The clearest picture, Hebrews says, the clearest picture of God that we have is in the person of Jesus Christ. So when you get to those red words, pay attention, okay? What I'm not saying that all scripture isn't God-breathed. I'm not saying that it's not all inspired. 
But what I'm saying is, you know, a preacher said this once, and I think that this has really stuck with me. The Bible is scripture, and Jesus is the word of God. It says that in the Gospel of John. The Bible is scripture. Jesus is the word of God, capital W. So pay attention when he talks. So I used to think that Jesus was talking about silliness when he says we need to receive the kingdom like children. When I read this, I, I used to think, oh, I just need to be more foolish, you know, and more, you know, whatever. I, I guess I need to, like, dance more or, you know, do, like, silly stuff more. I don't even know what that means, but I guess I just need to be more silly. But the truth is, that's kind of uh, silly. So I want to propose to you that the meaning of this hard saying of Jesus is, is far deeper and more meaningful than just he's asking you to be sillier, right? Jesus is responding to the disciples' cynicism about the children here because the disciples clearly have a picture of Jesus that says he's too high and mighty to receive children and their nonsensical behavior. After all, you know, Jesus is God. So how could these parents be allowing their children to waste God's time, right? That's what they're saying when they say, no, 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 don't bring these children to Jesus, right? But the truth is, Jesus puts the upside-down kingdom on display again here, right? He says, no, 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 my kingdom is upside-down. I prefer the children because they have more insight about the kingdom than you do. Really, that's what he's saying. When he says that, that you have to receive the kingdom of God like a child, he's saying, I prefer childlikeness. So let's unpack a little bit what that means. Children ask questions. Children ask questions. I believe that this is uh, one of the first things that Jesus is referring to when he suggests that the kingdom of God belongs to children. So for my fellow Star Wars fans, one of my friends with young kids recently posted this meme. And for those of you who can't see it on the stream, it says, once I became a parent, I finally understood the scene where Yoda gets so tired of answering Luke's questions, he just dies. <laughs> right? Isn't that funny? Do you guys remember that? So in, in episode six, right, Luke just keeps asking him questions over and over again. And then Yoda lays down in his bed and he covers himself up and he disappears. <laughs> but Jesus is so much better than Yoda. Jesus is so much better than Yoda because question asking is one of the core tenets of your faith. If you call yourself a Jesus follower, question asking is one of the core tenets of your faith. That might sound crazy to you because, you know, we're all about faith and we're all about, right, trusting God and so on and so forth. And that's absolutely true. And we get to ask him questions. We get to ask him questions. I would go so far as to say that question asking is almost as sacramental as the Eucharist itself. So when we talk about taking communion, right, we're talking about the body and blood of Jesus, this meal that Jesus prepared for us. And it's, a, it's, it's an important part of our practice right? Asking questions of God is just as important of a part of our practice as that is. Because, let me explain why, we come from the spiritual, spiritual heritage of the Jewish people. And Israel is the name that's given to Jacob in Genesis 32. And what does that mean? It means the one that struggled with the divine. The one that struggled with the divine. It is in our birthright, to be allowed to come before God and ask him questions and struggle with him. 
you have permission to do that. And so if there's ever been a time where leaders or people in ministry spoke over you, no, 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 you're not allowed to ask that question, or you're not allowed to have that doubt, or you're not allowed to, you know, don't bring that uncertainty here. I just want to speak freedom to you, because you have the freedom to ask God your questions, and he loves to answer them. He loves to answer them, because he says, let the children come to me, right? That's what he does. So this really should give us pause because in the West, we've been trained to think in enlightenment terms. We're we're trained to think in terms of empirical evidence and quantitative examination of facts and that formal logic is the highest form of truth, right? That in in my office at home on my bookshelf, I have a book called Systematic Theology and it's the, the systematic unpacking of the entire Bible, right? That's a total farce. Okay? I mean, I was like seriously tempted to throw that book away while I was preparing this because how silly is it to think that we can capture God in our systematic theology? What a silly thing. Certainty, put on your seatbelt, is the mortal enemy of biblical faith. Certainty is the mortal enemy of biblical faith. Faith and sureness are not synonyms in the Christian sense. They are not synonyms. Asking questions of God is a sacred practice that you might be neglecting. We might be overlooking this this seriously important thing of asking God questions when we're not sure because we think that we're out of faith when we do that. Faith is asking God questions and believing he'll actually answer you. That's what faith is. You are allowed. You are allowed to ask questions. And even more than that, your questions are welcomed by the Father. When we think we have everything figured out, we immediately stop having intimacy with God. When we think we have everything figured out, we immediately stop having intimacy with God. Because what has happened is we have decided that I have, I have all the knowledge that I need about this thing, and so I'm going to quit asking. I'm going to quit asking questions. I'm going to quit, quit digging for, for those truths that are in the person of Jesus. And when we shut that off, man, we, we shut off relationship to an extent. It's a very, very serious thing. See, when Jesus says, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, Jesus is telling his disciples that those of us who are asking childlike questions of God get priority access to his presence. I mean, that, I'm serious. It's that serious. He's, he is saying, the children get access to me because they are asking the right questions. What a big deal that we do not talk about enough, right? That's a big deal. So let's keep going. When Jesus says, for, for to such belongs the kingdom of God, he's making a statement about access. The second that we stop coming to Jesus as a child, and start coming to Jesus as an expert and telling him what he's supposed to be doing and the way things work, right? I mean, this is, this is kind of, people throw this around a lot, but that's very Pharisaic of us, right? We are, we're entering into that, that thing that the Pharisees were doing when they were constantly coming to Jesus and saying, no, 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 Jesus, the scriptures say this, so this is how it works, right? Stop healing on the Sabbath because that's not how we do it, right? And so... 
As soon as we claim expertise in an area, we have, we have stepped into an expert mentality and out of childlikeness. And when we step out of childlikeness, we're going to circle back. That's actually what makes us vulnerable to cynicism. That's what makes us vulnerable to having a hard heart. And so when we do that, uh, we, we have put ourselves out there. We've put ourselves out there, and we are going to get burnt. So I've had a few major cases of cynicism in my life thus far, and one that immediately comes to mind was a 12-month stretch beginning in the spring of 2017. During that period of time, my childhood mentor was arrested and charged for some shockingly vile behavior, and someone very close to me suffered for what felt like a long time and eventually passed away. And we prayed hard. We prayed hard for breakthrough. And throughout this time, I wasn't openly cynical about God around other people, right? I wasn't just going around and saying, oh, yeah, you know, I hate God, right? That's silly. What was happening was uh, I was just kind of a few years into my journey into the things of the kingdom, and I was, I was beginning to understand that it comes with a now and a not yet, right, with respect to spiritual breakthrough. Sometimes it happens when we want it to happen, and sometimes it doesn't. That could be very frustrating. And uh, I was experiencing the not yet for the first time. I was experiencing the not yet for the first time. And there were signs that I was exiting the realm of childlikeness. There were some signs that that was happening. My passion faded. I was always drained. My productivity was way, way, way down. I could barely think straight. I was self-medicating in the form of overeating. Uh, sleep and time off did not re-energize me. That's what it looks like when we get cynical, when we get hard of heart. But then the Holy Spirit showed up and reinvigorated my life when I started getting vulnerable about some of those things in front of the Father. You know, one of the teachers I looked up to, still look up to the most, Brian Zond, he refers to this kind of thing as a water-to-wine moment. A water-to-wine moment. Because what God's doing is, is he's taking this dirty water that we're, that we're experiencing, that we're swimming in, right, that is our life, and he's pouring it out, and it's becoming new wine. That's what it looks like to become new wine when we're in that place of cynicism, when we're in that place where our hearts are hard, and we, we get close to Jesus, and he makes new wine out of it. So when we, like, sing that song about, you know, Jesus make new wine out of me, think about that. Think about that, because you're not going to, you know, I think it was Mike that said it last week. You're not going to sing this sermon in the shower, but you're going to sing that in the shower. So think about this when you're singing that. So returning to wonder gives us access to the kingdom in a new way. We talk about sometimes having an expectation that God will do something, and that's fine, but I've kind of tried to replace expectation in my vocabulary with the word hope because expectation is restrictive, right? If I say, John, an expectation of you. What does that say to you, right? It, it kind of it says that I sort of have in my mind how I want you to behave and what I want you to do and kind of what I expect of you, right? But when I say, John, I'm hopeful for what God's going to do in your life. I'm hopeful for what's going to happen when we pray for people together. I'm hopeful for what's going to happen when we, you know, explore what community looks like and, and growing community and getting close to people, right, at, at the Oxford Vineyard. That, that's hope because it doesn't put an expectation on God. And so try to think in terms of hope 
rather than expectation. Because hope allows us to stay postured in such a way that we can receive the kingdom however our Father would, re- would like to release it. So that's what Jesus is saying when he's saying that thing about receiving the kingdom like a child. See, a child doesn't come to the Father and say, here's my list of expectations for you. This is how I'd like for you to father me, right? Because a good father knows what to do, or is at least figuring out what to do while they're doing it, right? And so receiving the kingdom with childlikeness is putting down expectation and taking up hope. It's putting down expectation and taking up hope. So I wanna, I'm going to skip a little bit of this because I actually want to worship today. Um, you know, I started out talking about people, right? I started out talking about community and getting cynical in community a little bit. And I want to circle back to that. I want to circle back to that. Sometimes it feels good to get bitter about people, right? Sometimes it's actually easier for us to enter into that. And it's sort of the natural, like, rut that we get ourselves in, right? When we're frustrated with people and and we just, we allow ourselves to get frustrated. We don't fight it. We don't resist it. We just enter into cynicism willingly because it's easier for us. We want to protect ourselves. See, I was talking about protecting ourselves, self-preservation, right? We want to protect ourselves from other people's messes, their drama, their brokenness, because we have the false idea that if we get close to that, it'll get on us. And I want to tell you that that's an old covenant way of thinking. See, in the old covenant, the reason that there's all these purity laws and all these things to keep people separate, to keep the Jewish people separate from the rest of the world was because they didn't have Jesus yet. And so they were being transformed by the cultures around them, right? But, but the thing about Jesus is that when Jesus enters in to a less than ideal situation, he is transforming it. And so when we have a fear of getting other people's messes and drama and brokenness on us, we're taking on an old covenant perspective of what it looks like to be the people of God. And if we have Jesus' perspective on what it looks like to be the people of God, we can enter in with people's drama and messes and brokenness and not fear that it's going to get on us. It's so important. We learn to fear other people. You know, part of childlikeness is a willingness to approach others, right? I want you to think, If if you have kids, um, did your children ever boldly ask someone something embarrassing in public? Does anyone have a story about that? Did your children ever boldly ask someone something embarrassing in public, right? Like someone that's in a wheelchair and missing a leg, and they come up and say, what happened to your leg? Oh, that's embarrassing, right? Or like they come up to somebody in the mall and say, why do you smell bad? That's embarrassing, right? We're like, ah, don't say that. But the truth is, the truth is, we have learned to be afraid of vulnerably, uh, vulnerably approaching people like that. Because then we teach our kids, no, 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 don't, don't say that. You know, don't, like, ask someone about their problem, right? When you observe a problem, don't say anything about it. Just pretend like it's not there, right? That's what we do. And I would propose that the kind of innocence that asks people embarrassing questions in public is the kind of innocence that Jesus is inviting us into in relationship with other people. Think about that for a second. The innocence of a child that observes a problem and asks about it. 
That's the kind of innocence that Jesus is inviting us into. That's vulnerable. That's hard. That's embarrassing, right? We've, we've got to be able to enter in as community. I want to read something to you in closing from John Mark Comer of Bridgetown Church. He was writing about this idea of community and bearing one, one another's burdens, and I think it really relates to this idea of wonder and, and just staying in wonder and not getting cynical about other people. So let me read it to you. I'm going to read it kind of slow, and I want you to just ponder this as I read it. He says, stay with your church especially your closest siblings in the family of God. Live in a thick web of interdependent relationships. Remember, that's the kind of relationship that says, I don't need you, but I want you. Quietly defy the individualism that's wreaking havoc across the West. Surrender your autonomy to love. Place yourself in the constraint of community. For it is there we are set free. Give up your preferences for the sake of others. Enroll in the school of agape. When you fail a course, throw yourself upon God's mercy. Come back to the table, eat the bread drink the wine, ingest the forgiving love of God. Repent. Repent again and again. Risk vulnerably. We will get hurt and hurt in return. That's part of facing grace. Our greatest wounds come from relationships, but so does our deepest healing. The risk is worth it. When I went through some of those experiences back in 2017, you know, one of those was with a mentor. And I had a choice to make. I had a choice to make. Am I going to avoid this kind of relationship for the rest of my life because I got burnt really bad? I trusted someone with the vulnerable things of my life and they broke that trust. And I had a decision to make. Am I going to continue to enter into these kinds of relationships, or, or am I going to neglect that? And I would be willing to bet that each and every one of you listening to this right now has had woundedness in relationship with a pastor, with a spouse, with a sibling, with a friend, and you have a decision to make. You have a decision to make about whether you're going to grow cold to relationship and allow yourself to become cynical and thus remove yourself from some degree of community, worshiping community. Or we can stick it out. We can press through. We can ask Jesus for the water to wine moment where he pours out our cynicism and makes it something new. Folks, we are here for a community that we can't find elsewhere. A community centered around Jesus. And if you think you're here for the worship or because you think John's preaching is so good, you're here for the wrong reasons. You're here for the wrong reasons. The family of God is happening in the local church. And if you're frustrated with the church, know this. So am I. She's a little broken right now. 
But it's the thing that Jesus asked us to do. It's the thing that Jesus asked us to do. And I'm committed to seeing it through with you. I'm committed to seeing it through with you. So I'm just going to pray, and then we're going to have communion. So would whoever's going to pass that out come forward? Holy Spirit, we, just, we invite your presence right now. We invite your presence to, to knit us together as the family of God. And right now, where there's cynicism in our hearts, Lord, we, just, we prepare ourselves to continue worshiping with communion and, and singing songs and dancing and, and just being vulnerable before you, God. We prepare ourselves to repent for that cynicism as we get ready to do this. Jesus, I just ask for more of your presence that you would release us into a heightened sense of awe and wonder when we think about how amazing you are, Jesus. When we think about the power that you deserve, that you deserve and that you desire to release into your family. So right now, Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would fill us up. Fill us up again. Fill us up fresh. We're going to continue worshiping with communion. So as they're passing that out, um, I'm just going to read this passage to you and, and, and bless it. So on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he dined with his disciples. And, and it says, now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So feel free to take and, and eat and drink that. And while you're doing that, reflect on the fact that this is the most, one of the most communal acts that we can make. This is one of the most communal acts that we can make, participating with the broken body and poured out blood of Jesus for us. We're entering into community, community worshiping community. Amen.